0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the DAO of WOW. We are going to be doing a two-part episode after we kind of talked for a long time about things we've learned about co-ops over the last seven years. So this is part one. Enjoy. Enjoy.
1: Welcome to the Tao of Wow, a podcast about the intersection of technology, society, and internet culture with a dash of philosophy and art for good measure. I am Doug Belshaw.
0: And I'm Laura Hilliger. This podcast season is currently partially unfunded. You can support this podcast and other We Are Open projects and products at opencollective.com/slash we are open.
1: So today, we have brought another We're Open founding member, John Bevan, last heard in season three on our episode about dormancy, which you can go and check out, um, and invite him into this podcast because this podcast season is all about cooperation. John is the most cooperative pe- person that we know, um, and he hasn't been on a podcast for a while. So hello, John. Hey, both. Good to be back. So you. Uh, this is a bit of a weirdly structured uh, episode because we're all members of this co-op. But we're going to treat you like a guest. And so uh, the first question that we always ask for guests is, what's your favourite book? And you can kind of just hack this by saying that, you know, you've got a favourite fiction one, a non-fiction one, or your favourite one at the moment, or whatever you want. But, John, what's your favourite book?
2: Okay. I don't think we did this question last time.
1: No. So I don't,
2: don't need to dodge any uh, that I've already mentioned. What's my favourite book? There's a book that I recommend to a lot of people over the past few years, which is called The Many-Headed Hydra. Um, And that is by Marcus Redeker and Peter Linbaugh, I guess you pronounce it. This is a bit of a uh, Mm -hmm. Harry Potter Hermione moment for me because I've realized I've never said it, but I've read it many times. Uh, So I'll fill in the gaps, L-I-N-E-B-A. Ugh, I think it's Limbaugh.
1: Okay, so we can um, put this linked in the in the Tao of Wow book club notes and the show notes and stuff. But what is this yeah, book? What's it about? I've never even heard of it. That's a book about the sort of emergence of
2: transatlantic uh, capitalism and slavery and nation states and colonialism and pirates and all sorts, and is absolutely great. Um, But actually, I woke up this morning thinking about another book. And if I was going to go to the park and read a book today, uh, I would take Beyond a Boundary by C.L.R. James because my kids have just got into playing cricket. And I probably read Beyond a Boundary 30 years ago or something like that. And whenever I think or watch or play cricket, there's still bits in there that I kind of... Brings to mind. Um, and again, about many themes other than just cricket, um, colonialism and racism in the Caribbean and beyond. Oh, okay. um, it's a collection of essays, which is like a great, um, a great read. I would
1: Sport is very much like um, a gateway for some people finding out about the way that society is structured and some of the inequities. I bought my dad. A book about the way that football is funded which blew his mind and has actually i think helped change his politics as mm-hmm. well and then there's a book which i still haven't read it's called like the inner game of tennis or something like that have you heard of this book it's like a classic um and there's the inner game of golf and basically yes it's using the sport as the organizing thing um but it's really talking about kind of psychology and what it means to be. So yeah, there's lots of books like that. So Beyond the Boundary by C L R James. Cool,
0: yeah. Nice, so today we were thinking that we would have a bit of a ramble chat, uh, which I think we're kind of known for at this point, our ramble chats, uh, about what it has been like to be running a co-op together for the last seven years.
1: And before we do that, um, which is exactly why we're here, can we just point out for those listening to this podcast who might be thinking, oh my goodness, the sound of Laura coming in my ears is just incredible. Like, how is it that she sounds so much better than Doug and John? Uh, so, why is that, Laura?
0: Um, well, I have a very special mic today on a very large mic stand. Uh, it's the first time I'm trying out this mic. I don't know anything about it. I was just told, you need a better mic, so here you go. And we're going to give it a whirl. If, if I sound like amazing in this podcast, then you will see this mic much more often.
1: Cool. Well, just for context, I've got my blue snowball mic that I've had for the last decade um, propped up on top of my uh, Mac studio, so uh, living the dream over here in Northumberland.
0: So for those who are interested, my mic is a Electro Voice RE320. So if you nerd out on sound equipment, you can write us and let us know whether or not you think this is a good mic, because I have no idea.
1: (laughs) Okay, cool. So some of the things we want to talk about today with John's input. John is the reason that we have a co-op. All right, And I think we should probably start off by talking about why being a co-op is better than lots of other options. And then we want to talk about what we've learned, as Laura said, about running a co-op together for seven years. Um, so it's kind of lost in the mists of time. It's only seven years ago, but it's kind of lost in the mist of time exactly how we end up having a co-op instead of some other kind of organization. But John, do you want to just kind of riff off that in terms of like why being a co-op might be better than being i don't know a freelancer or being part of an agency or even just you know setting up your own regular straight up press a button on company's house kind of business why is a co-op better than all of those options
2: Uh, i think for us peering back into the mists of time like you say so seven years ago We had all worked together previously at Mozilla um, and then had left, you know, over a period of one or two years, probably. Um, We'd all left full-time gigs places um, and had all started freelancing. But even before I left my full-time proper job, I guess, I was thinking about whether I could freelance through a co-op set up a co-op to do that and work with other people and um there at the time there were various other organizations also thinking about this and i was chatting to some of them alt gen was one that was Mm. active at the time and thinking about freelance co-ops um and from a sort of i was motivated from a like ideological point of view i think co-ops are great and was interested in trying to hack together a, a, a business that would allow the freedom of being a freelancer, but then the support of working with other people. Um, so that's why I roped in um, the three of you at the time, but now the two of you who are on the podcast with me mm. um, to talk about doing this experiment as a co-op.
1: Because th- I'd love to dig into that a little bit further. So like the different reasons for setting up a co-op. So you mentioned that yours was ideological. Laura, what was like, again, I can't remember exactly the meetings we had and how it was set up and all that kind of stuff. But can you remember, like, what was the reason that attracted you to being part of the co-op other than getting to work with John and me and and Brian?
0: I mean, for me, it was really about, um, what John just said, like, it seemed like a better way to be a freelancer. So I have been freelancing my entire career. Yeah, I worked at Mozilla and and Greenpeace. But technically, my contracts were always um, freelance contracts because of where I lived, um, because of how people could hire, because it's actually pretty typical in the nonprofit space to hire on contract basis. Um, And the problem with that is that there's not Real security, I feel like you know, a contract could just expire or you know, just be gone at some point. Um, and I, yeah, I thought that it would be a good idea to have that support structure, so it was really about solidarity and being able to work with other people. But, but some of the admin stuff that the co op does, or you know, just having people to talk to about some of the like. You know, health insurance issues for somebody who doesn't have a job. Like, it sounds very boring, but as an adult, you have to deal with that stuff. And having a group of people who are in similar positions, um, it's been hugely helpful over the past seven years. And as we've grown and matured, it's gotten even, like, we're a business and we take care of HR issues and these kinds of things. And, you know, for me, it was, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. So we'll get into kind of some of those and and our seven things that we've we've learned. So John says ideological. Laura, you're saying it's kind of the getting around the precarity of being a a freelancer. For me, it was, yeah, definitely wanting to work with other people and not wanting to do any of the boring admin. Like we roped my wife, Hannah, into doing the admin in the early days of the co-op and stuff, which was fantastic because like lots of, like some people really enjoy doing admin and operation stuff. So John, I know you enjoy that or, you know, are definitely good at doing it if you don't enjoy it. Um, and like Aaron, who's on the podcast, enjoys doing that kind of stuff. For me, like I, I couldn't deal with doing that every day. And I just need to do the the new stuff all the time. I'm like a dog chasing a shiny car. Um, so like a dog chasing a shiny car as a freelancer is not a sustainable business, whereas people of different interests and talents coming together um, and kind of supporting one another and following interests while still being responsible and running a business is, is perfect. So, so yeah, so we've talked about kind of why a co-op might be better than being a freelancer, but there were two other things that I mentioned just whilst passing this over to John. So, why maybe being in a co-op is better than being in an agency? Or maybe the usual thing would be like, okay, well, if I'm not going to be a freelancer, I'm going to set up my own business and I'm going to employ other people. So why can we just kind of touch on those before we get into the seven things? Why might it be better than joining an agency? Like, um, let's just start there. Why why is being part of a co-op, even if not if you're not a founding member, better than being like employed in an agency?
2: I think there's a, there's something there about people who are striking out on their own or joining an agency. And there are times at which, um, like your relationship to power or your boss or whatever, lots of people start a business because they want to be their own boss. But if you are on your own, that can, you can be a pretty strict, horrible boss to yourself. and if you work for either as an individual or through an agency sometimes you end up it's almost like the situation you now have each of your clients is all in some way your boss and are telling you what to do and are putting you under pressure um whereas my experience hopefully our experience as a co-op is one that you can look around the table, look on the video call and it's a conversation with equals and together you can deal with things, you can share the successes, you can try to figure out what's going wrong when things aren't going so well. Um, so yeah, it's you're just, uh, your entire relationship to work and the weird things that power does in relationships through work um, is a very different one.
1: what's interesting to me is the number of people who own agencies who we've worked with who are like oh and i'm going to be a b corp and whatever and they're interested in being potentially turning into a co-op but there's something about giving up that control and it's weird where those conversations about coercion and oppression come up i haven't i haven't mentioned this to either of you before this podcast but last night i was picking up um my son's prom suit with him he was trying it on and stuff i end up having a conversation with the 23 year old person who worked in the suit hire shop about oppressive management practices yeah because he who was a year out of university had gone for a promotion basically across the street to another men's fashion place and had had such a terrible time that after seven weeks he was crying at work yeah and it had gone back to this place where we were hiring the suit from. And we were literally talking about how you can earn as much money as you want. But if you've got an oppressive boss, it's hellish. Like, it's absolutely terrible. Um, and there's something about those coercive power relationships. Um, and before I joined the co-op, when I used to see people talking about coercion at work and oppression and stuff, I'd be like, oh, look, there's just Marxists ranting on again. But actually, it's a thing. It's a thing that I've experienced. Um, and is is actually really dangerous and bad for your for your mental health, I would say.
0: Yeah, I think I mean, in a co op landscape that it's, I think that collaborating eye to eye as equals is a set of skills that you have to learn. Or rather, a set of it has something to do with skills that you have to unlearn because society is set up with these hierarchies. Society is set up to, you know, have oppressive and coercive work practices as "quote unquote" normal. And in a co-op, you bring all of that baggage with you—the things that you've learned since the early days—and um, it's it's a real effort to. A good effort, a positive effort to like realize those um, norms and sort of the cultural aspects of work that you bring with you when you're in a situation where they're no longer required or or wanted and you really have to um, it's something to get used to i mean over the past seven years like when I joined this co-op i i i thought about running a business as an individual, not as a collective. Do you know what Mm. I mean? Like I knew that we were all equal and that we're going to run this thing together, but my perspective on it was like, Laura has to X, Y, Z, Laura needs to. And now seven years later, it's like, Oh, hold on. I don't need to, because if there's any, anything that I need support on, all I have to do is come to you guys and be like, yo, I want to talk about this thing. Hmm. Um, and that's been a progression over the years it wasn't it wasn't just a given like oh we're all going to be equal and this is going to be great No, you have to learn how to communicate how to how to advocate how to actually bring people in instead of doing things yourself
1: Hmm. so and and one of the journeys that I've definitely been on is just you know, when on our on the front page of our website, we've got something about flying up in a jetpack to ten thousand feet, so we can have a look around and see an overview of what's going on. And it's like when you've got the space of not having a boss, kind of telling you what to do, and you have to figure it out for yourself. You start realizing, like, why is it that businesses tend to do things like that, or why is society structured like that? And for me, seeing like the how the patriarchy is just has its fingers and everything like even before this podcast we were talking about how in germany today when recording this there's a day which is like men's day and people like men go around and get drunk and just do stuff like why is that a thing um that's on a societal level there's um like the way in which we interact in meetings there's the the responsibility sometimes that people who don't identify as male for looking after people and sorting stuff out, like all of those things that have to be like unpicked and it takes a while to do, I found really interesting as well.
0: Yeah, there's a, a lot of people nowadays are talking about care work in the workplace. Mm. Um, so it's typically um, people who don't identify as male that pick up some of the labor that is just um, meant to make things easier for the business as a whole. Um, And this is something that it's like, you know, it's like little things like, you know, making sure that there's a spreadsheet for the plan that everybody's talking about or note taking or, you know, some of these smaller things. And it's definitely been, you know, recognizing the behaviors that I that I bring as a non-male and actually asking for help. Uh, in certain times, and of course, you both have also noticed, oh, hey, look, it's the women that are taking notes again, maybe I should write something down. And but that's like happened over time working together that we realize that some of those behaviors are just ingrained based on, you know, <laughs> the patriarchy. So
1: um, one of the people who we uh, we haven't had um, Abby on, on the podcast, I don't think, but someone who we've been inspired by over the years. Um, who we've probably mentioned on this podcast a bunch of times is um, Abby Handley from Outlandish, and she has recently stepped down from being a member of Outlandish. So she's going to continue being a collaborator. She's been to one of uh, one of our co-op days, and in the blog post which we can put in the show notes about stepping down as a member um she said something which i didn't think she was going to say publicly but she definitely said privately which was that she struggled in letting go of the role of mum in outlandish des- despite desperately wanting to um and it's very difficult to change the kind of dynamics in any kind of group and how sometimes you have to step back like like physically or metaphorically step back and say i am not doing this role anymore and how difficult that is if you like if you don't own the business in some way it's interesting. So um, let's move on to the bit where we're talking about the seven things that we've learned from running a co-op together for seven years. And this can go off in different tangents, and it'll probably grow legs and uh, run away with us because I think we've got lots to say about this. But we we've got seven things written down in our notes: um, mind shift, uh, relationships with one another, managing clients. Finances and sustainability, marketing and networking, working remotely, and uh, meeting up in real life, IRL meetups. Shall we just start at the beginning and, and go through them? Or do are, are there any Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Okay. Cool, cool. So the first one, and we've been writing a an email course for workers.coop on this, like introduction to forming a co-op. And one of the things was like the mind shift involved. Um, in running a co-op and being part of a co-op as opposed to being part of a different kind of business and we've just been touching on that a little bit but maybe we could talk a little bit more about that that mind shift and what that's been like for us who wants to start
0: well I can start because I started talking Uh, (laughs) I have definitely in the last seven years had a pretty big mind shift on what it means to work um, what it means like how i want to work the kind of space i need where my creative energy is and at what time uh, of day or you know what i need to do and there's you know i i get to my desk almost every single day by nine thirty a.m that's my start time and i you know have my little work processes and stuff Um, But the big mind shift that's actually happened relatively recently is feeling comfortable saying, I don't want to do this right now, or I don't have the energy for this right now. Um, I really feel like it's been, you know, the past year or so that I feel comfortable saying to my colleagues, you know what, this thing that we said we were going to do right now, I don't have the energy for it. I want to work on this other thing right now, or, you know, I just want to leave the computer, Um, This is a this is a big new thing. And it is so nice to be able to work with people and say, my energy level is not feeling this thing. And, you know, and and everybody is like willing to shift gears, or to to say, Oh, well, I really have energy for it. So how about I get started. Mm. And that's, you know, that's been really healthy for me, because I feel like, when I come to work, I get to follow my energy, whatever that energy is. And it means that the work that I'm doing is better for it because I, you know, don't try to do really creative things if I'm not feeling creative at all and these kinds of things. So that was a big mind shift. Used so, to be,
1: so how would you, how would you describe that? I saw someone say that it's like managing your energy instead of your tasks or time. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really about like, you know, being in a workplace that's flexible enough to allow, for people to have different feelings at different times and not like force functioning collaboration. Um, and I mean, and I mean, that's, I mean,
1: that is different to, let's get everyone to come back to the office so we can make sure that they're actually working.
0: It is very different from that. Yes.
1: Yes. John, do you feel the same way? Is it like, what's the shift for you? If, if anything.
2: Um, I think that, I suppose there's maybe something to talk about that it's not all beer and biscuits and running a (laughs) co-op means that you're responsible for the business and you have to be one of the people who pays attention, even if it's only once a year or once every six months to things like the accounts need to be signed off and you are legally responsible for doing things that you are able to dodge if you work, um, You know, you have a boss who deals with that and they tell you what to do and then they also make those decisions. So there's like huge benefits for your well-being in terms of having control of your work. But then there's also the responsibility that comes with that. I've heard a couple of people mention over the years the reason they prefer employee-owned status, like through a trust or something rather than directly worker-owned co-op. is that they can still keep some of that separation. So there is, you know, a way for them to express themselves at work. There's some democratic means for them to be involved in the running of the business, but they do manage to keep one step removed from some of, you know, things that they don't want to pay attention to or or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess the the shift for me was more, um, you know, being mindful of you have to pick all of that stuff up and sometimes if you're doing that then it means you have to pay less attention to somewhere somewhere else I suppose Hmm. Hmm.
1: and and for me um I can remember so I started off my career as a teacher and then senior leader in schools and then worked in a university and then Mozilla and then you know and for me I can remember how guilty I felt taking days off work and how I should be working. Um, Even when like I was not fit to work, I had a really bad cold or I was just burned out or or whatever. And just like, I see photographs come up on a, on a Google display thing and like you can almost project yourself back into the mindset that you were in at that stage, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever. And just how I feel completely different to like, I get the number of, I want to do around 25 hours work a week. It's often like a couple of hours less than that, but like what counts as as work and what counts as paid work. And like, I've never like this period of my life, I'm more fit than I was in my twenties and I'm in my forties now. And just give it like prioritizing things other than work and career. Uh, because I can't do because I've got other things going on in my life. I'm parenting teenagers, and I've got older parents, and all this kind of stuff. So it's it's really interesting having that mind shift to not just putting the commute to work and work and coming back from work as the most important thing in your in your life. And it's quite nice to n- not just have conversations and having to keep up with the treadmill of like, um, well, LinkedIn, to be quite honest. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said career there because I think, you know, if I think back to who I was 10, 15, 20 years ago, then it was very much about climbing some sort of ladder. I, d- I didn't even know where I was trying to go. It wasn't, you know, like am- there was something about ambition that that really drove me in the early part of my career and wanting to make a name for myself and, I don't know, like make more money, be promoted, be a director like, I always wanted to be a director. Technically, I'm now a director of my own business, yep. which is a whole different ball of wax than, like, trying to climb, you know, some sort of corporate corporate ladder. Well, there's, I-
1: there's an image that we asked Brian to create um, of, a, of a ladder as opposed to someone traversing a climbing wall, which yeah. is what I feel like maybe our careers are more like traversing a climbing wall where you – Kind of go sideways and maybe down and backwards and up and round and you do what's right for you at the time. And but see, yeah, I might, would
0: argue. Yeah. I mean, I would argue that that's what everybody's career is like, or that's what yeah. a career is supposed to be like. it, You know, and you don't learn that when you're young. You know, you learn to climb a ladder. You don't learn that you can go sideways, that you can go back down, that you can grab. You know, another bouldering. Um, Handhold, and that's something that you know you learn after you've been working for a while and you're like oh you know my through line is not the same as you know a progression in some corporate career Hmm. it's Hmm. it's very different Hmm.
2: well in making the editing of this podcast potentially much more tricky continuity breaking uh insert um i mentioned alt gen earlier and they're an organization. I'm not sure they're really active anymore. But for those of you watching in black and white, um, they had um, stickers that they used to give out, which was about not climbing the ladder and doing things differently. And just popped into my head that I'd mentioned them earlier and uh, still got some of their stickers in the desk. Too.
1: Yeah, because the, the ladder has been created by someone else. Like the the, the career pathway has been created by someone who is not you, who does not know what your needs and wants and context and stuff are. Um, And also, again, going back to the kind of patriarchy from earlier, and also the way that we're conditioned into stuff. And I realized that if I was listening to this 15, if I, I, 15 years ago, Doug, in his 20s, was listening to 42-year-old Doug speak now, he'd be like, oh my goodness, how have you turned out? Because I'm using language that I used to shy away from because it sounded a little bit too left-wing or radical or whatever whereas now it doesn't feel radical it just feels like this is the stuff that we need to do to be healthy as individuals as in organizations in society this is what this is the kind of stuff that we need to do and again a lot of my time is spent pounding and on the way to the to the suit place yesterday I was saying to my son how amazing it is now that he gets to choose from now on he gets to choose everything that he learns no longer is he going to be forced to learn anything. And he can learn anything that he wants as we drove past Newcastle University. I tried to indoctrinate him with the uh, higher education virus. <laughs> um, shall we move on uh, to yeah. relationships with one another? Number two. Yes.
0: What have you learned, John, about relationships with? Us <laughs> or with the other co op members?
2: Um, I suppose I work a lot more closely with you both now than we ever did before the co op existed. So we are both like, we all worked for Mozilla Foundation, it wasn't a huge place, you know, somewhere in the years that we were there between 40 and 70 sort of people or something like that, I guess. Um, and we work remotely. Uh, And we would get together at meetups or if you came to London or whatever. Um, But now I've worked like much more closely alongside you, um, I guess, uh, through the co-op than we ever had previously. Um, So just have a sort of another level of uh, understanding of what your home lives are like and... They're just as complicated as everyone else's and mine. And uh, it allows you to kind of, we always try at the start of our days or meetings to check in and see how everyone else is doing. And that wider context really does help sometimes if you have a situation like Laura mentioned where you just need to step back for some reason you can, you know, paint a richer picture of your colleagues' sort of lives outside of work, I suppose.
0: Hmm. I think for me, one of the things um, that I've learned running a co-op specifically for seven years about relationships is like we, we get to know each other personally. Like, that's good. We work together every day. We should know each other a bit. Um, but I've found... I've found in terms of like how we relate to each other, we're getting to know each other on a level where we can, I mean, we can outright see how, how we're feeling internally in a lot of instances. Like, you know, if we, somebody has a proposal or, you know, an idea and somebody else doesn't feel comfortable with it, despite the fact that we're working remotely and we don't have the added benefit of like full body language. um, We know each other well enough and we've worked together um, so closely in all of these different areas, not just like not just on bits of work that we 're good at, but also bits of work that we 're not good at um, and we we can see where our skills and talents are you know where we 're happy to use them and where maybe we 're not i 'm thinking specifically of spreadsheets right now, <laughs> so like listeners, dear listeners, when spreadsheets come up i Immediately, I'm like, oh, no, a spreadsheet. And every once in a while, the spreadsheet is so beautiful because either John or Doug has taken the time to make the spreadsheet not feel like a spreadsheet that even I can like use it. And it's like, you know, you, you, we learn little things about how we need to like how each other processes particular kinds of information. And I think it's really awesome that in a co-op you know each other so well that people then try to like help you actually care about the spreadsheet in this in this example, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's definitely a relationship thing because it's like having the the care and the empathy and like you know the the deep enough relationship that you try to help other people understand what you're trying to get across, even if it means that you have to format a spreadsheet with pretty colors so that Laura cares. Mm.
1: Um, and to to use John's wonderful phrase, uh, it's not all beer and biscuits. Um, <laughs> relationships one. with one another, like there will always be conflict in any kind of organization, especially when you're working so closely with, with other people. Laura referred to me as her work spouse on the Verse the other day. Um to which I took mock, mock, um, uh, what's it? Mock, mock uh, offense. I didn't really take offense to it, but it's weird because we do spend. I probably spend more time on a weekday with Laura than I do with my wife, which is weird because <laughs> out of work, I'm often like running the kids there, here and there and stuff. So you have to get on well with people, and that doesn't just happen by accident. You have to talk through things. We've done some work around non-violent communication um, and with Outlandish, around reframing conflict. But there was one thing that I wanted to talk about in particular. So there was an episode of the You Are Not So Smart podcast that Laura recommended. Uh, It wasn't this particular episode. It was the podcast that you recommended on a pilot episode of a podcast that never went out. Maybe we'll uh, release that as a bonus sometime. But I'm always up for listening to new podcasts. They re-released this one from Adam Grant, their workplace psychologist. Um, it was originally recorded in 2022. And in this podcast, which I listened to at the gym, he was talking about the difference between relationship conflict and task conflict, which I thought was great. So relationship conflict, we conflate the two. We think that because we're arguing over... Like, how we should do this client project that we're actually arguing with each other as individuals. And although we've never used that language, um, and John is the easiest person to get on with in the world, and Laura and I really aren't, um, that we conflate the task conflict with the relationship conflict. And he was saying how task conflict is really important because it actually surfaces diversity of opinions and good views and whatever. But relationship conflict, you need tools to be able to get around that. Otherwise, people leave organizations. And members, especially founding members, leaving organizations like co-ops is a much bigger deal than just someone leaving a job in a hierarchical organization. So it's good that we've managed to, to figure that out.
0: Yeah, I I think we should mention the reframing Conflict course that you literally just mentioned again because it was excellent. Um, so Outlandish puts on a course um, where they focus on how to how to sort through your feelings, observations, needs, and thoughts, uh, which are all slightly different. And they they teach a little framework that they call FONT. Um, and this we took everyone at the co-op took the reframing conflict course. Was that last year, maybe? Or the, I think it was last year. It was last year. Um, and I found it really valuable because, like, the way that they help you understand conflict is not that conflict is negative, but rather that conflict can be very productive. Um, and so, like, with this task conflict that you've just been talking about, I think, um, you know, often, often when we have differing opinions, leaning on that front framework has been really helpful because we can sort through what's what's really going on under the hood. And what is it that we're trying to accomplish in a way that is like nonviolent, and, you know, uh, speaks to how we want to work together. So we'll put a link on the in the show notes for that
1: yeah and outlandish never it's part as a major part of their workshop but they don't really have anything published about that so i i've got a blog post where i explain basically what i've learned about that so we'll stick Mm -hmm. that in as well
0: sorry to interrupt your listening experience we're going to cut this episode here and be sure and check out part two of co-op lessons